Welcome to Pixel Tunes Radio, a podcast where we have fun talking about video games and video game music. I'm M- Mike. I'm, I, I'm, I'm Ed. I'm Ed. I'm Ed. I'm Ed. No, I'm no Ed. you're Mike. Damn it. Damn it. We always oh. screw this up and we right. do it backwards. You're Ed. I forget who I am. And I'm Mike. I'm Ed. And I'm Mike. And you're Mike. Got it. And today is episode 81, Free Picks, because usually we do a free pick episode every 10th episode, but... You know, our 80th episode was our special fan favorite episode, so we pushed our free picks back two weeks so that we could do that special third anniversary episode. That's right. We've got some really weird, goofy selections today, so I think we're going to... And it's all really good music, but I I just think that we'll have a lot to talk about. It's very lighthearted music this time around, for sure. This is going to be a very fun episode to do, so... Why don't we get started with our Pixel Chat questions, which we just got, so let's start off with... Jessica Panero, who writes, Hi guys, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. I'm, I'm also great. Excellent. All right, let's move on. No. <laughs> no, she asks, Don't know if someone has already asked you this, but do you like the Resident Evil OSTs? If so, what are the songs or albums or OSTs that you like the most? And when are we going to get a podcast about it? Well, thanks for the question, Jessica. Um, I think we both like Resident Evil. Pretty the series, like, yeah. Yeah, the series. I wouldn't necessarily say the music is, it doesn't really stand out to me. It's it's good ambiance for the in-game, right. but like, other than I think the first game, which did have some pretty good tracks, I, I, I don't think, it's not something necessarily that we wouldn't cover, but at the same time, like, I, I just think that we would need a lot of help with it, I, with, yeah, with it, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll never say never in terms of sure. doing a podcast or a podcast theme, but I would need to really dig deep and see if there were enough tracks that wouldn't put listeners to sleep. Right. You know? Because it's such ambiance, and I mean, Silent Hill was different. I think, well, one, I think the music is better in Silent Hill than in Resident Evil. I think it's a lot less There's more ambient. focus on the music right, in Silent right. Hill, for sure. It's, it's less ambient, so uh, I think that we would maybe do it someday. I don't know. I, I know that I was toying with the idea of doing it last last this past Halloween but I knew you you really wanted to do the Silent Hill episode so, yeah. uh, so maybe and, next Halloween yeah maybe we'll have a, a good year 10 we'll, months to research it we'll have a sit down yeah a little powwow <laughs> invite some zombies a spot of tea <laughs> <laughs> alright what's our next question next question is from Jason Lamp and he asks us what our favorite Taito game is that's not Chase HQ the Ninja Warriors Puzzle Bobble or Night Striker okay <laughs> I'm going to say Elevator Action Returns or Space Invaders 90. Both of those are really good. Both are great games, yeah. Uh, The Darius series. I mean, obviously, I've been playing Darius Burst Chronicle Saviors. Uh, Picked it up over the uh, winter sale on Steam and got it for a really good price. And Mm -hmm. there's so much content in that game, and it's so good. Really enjoying it. Music is just bizarre stuff. Um, Really interesting soundtrack, really good gameplay. And the gameplay is just... There's literally hours and hours and hours, and for a, a horizontal shooter, you don't you don't usually you don't get that much get content. That. Right, so right. I'm really having fun with that one. So I got to say, it's probably my, my favorite at the moment from Taito. We also took this as more of a developer question, but you didn't specify publisher or developer. So publishing wise, ooh, uh, I'm gonna say the Powerblade games, Powerblade one and two. I think Taito was good enough to publish that for Natsume. So. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So, and then he follows up with, he has uh, a question for me, personally, uh, too, if that's okay. <laughs> left out. <laughs> we talked about the translated version of Hyper Eria on Super Famicom being released a while back. 
and I sent him a ROM too. Have you had the chance to play it yet? And if so, what do you think of it so far? Jason, I did have a chance to play it. I sat down uh, shortly after you sent it to me. And, and I, he hated it. No. <laughs> I sat down and I played it, and it, it's actually really funny that you mentioned this because uh, not too long ago, recently, I belonged to this group. Uh, it's like an Asian retro group or whatever that on Facebook that uh, this guy posts stuff that he sells. And one of the things that he was selling was a copy of Hyper Eria complete in box for the Super NES. I love the Eria uh, or Zerum the Animation anime series or OVA. Really, really good. It's like one of my, one of the first like anime OVAs that I ever watched. And I watched it in English and I fell in love with the English version and I cannot watch the Japanese version. But anyways, long story short, I did play Hyper Eria, but fairly recently I saw this game on on this Asian retro group and I messaged the seller and was like, how much? And he was like, you don't want to know. So I looked on <laughs> eBay and it, the, apparently the game goes for like oodles of money. Yeah. But as far as the point of the question, uh, long story short, yes, I did play it. I thought it was interesting. The sprites are kind of small, which I was kind of surprised at. And the game seems kind of sluggish a little bit. Like it, it, I wish it was a little faster paced. But it's, it's cool, it's it's like an action side-scrolling game, and it's, it's kind of a weird maze, kind of like Metroid-like a little bit, but it seems level-based as well, so it's it's cool. I want to dive a little bit more into it, um, maybe get a little further into it, but yeah, I, I was digging it, and I do appreciate you sending me that ROM, that translated ROM, because I, it, it really wasn't even something that came to mind, so thanks. That was the longest answer in the history of Pixel Chat. I know. For like, it's cool. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's get on to our next question. This one will be uh, short. Yeah, this one uh, is from Stephen Locke, and he asks us, our favorite SNES RPG soundtrack not from Square or Enix. And then he goes on to say that his favorite is Lufia 2. Right, right. Which, before he said that, I was like, there are Super Nintendo RPG soundtracks that oh, aren't come on. Square Enix. Of course, Enix. there are. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna probably have to go with Lufia 2 as well as a really good soundtrack. Um, I was gonna say Mystic Quest, but <laughs> it's Square Enix. There's, yeah, or exactly. Square Squaresoft. Exactly. So yeah. Cool. Uh, my favorite Earthbound. I mean, there's really no shot. Oh, there. true. Oh, there. Mario RPG is Mario pretty RPG good too. Is really yeah, good too. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't really. I love RPGs in terms of concept. I just, I don't have the time of day to sit down and yeah, play them. It's just like so long. And that, and, and I'm just not a fan of that style music for the most part. I really don't like the classical mm -hmm. soundtracks. Yeah, so. I, I do. Right. And, and one mm -hmm. thing I will say is that most Super Nintendo RPGs do have a lot of variety in terms of the music. Yeah, a lot of them have that orchestral sounding music, but yeah. because it's shiptune and MIDI uh, for the most part, it's got enough range that it can sound different. It doesn't have to all be that orchestral right, style. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, that's why I like Earthbound because it yeah. kind of strays away from that. There, there is mm -hmm. some more like classical style uh, music, but a lot of it is like you know rock and right. classic rock and stuff that 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 that. RPG kind of centers around. So. Yeah, I think that the music in RPGs is tailor-made for the scene that you're in, and that's really specific right. because story is so important. Whereas you could throw in an action game and you can do like a crazy like acid jazz soundtrack and it would still be yeah, really good. Yeah, it's much tougher to fall in love with an RPG soundtrack if you haven't played the game right. first. That's true, that's true. Yeah. All right, so thank you for your questions. Guys, you can send us more Pixel Chat questions at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com. Or uh, if we ever put a post on Facebook in our Facebook group asking for questions, you can post right there on that thread. Twitter as, as well. well. Yeah, yeah, Twitter as well, at Pixel Tunes Radio. Send us a message. Send us a mail. 
Yeah. Snail mail. Snail mail. Email. Yeah. Send us snail mail. Creepy Pixel Tunes Castle Basement. Connecticut address here. Connecticut, USA. Connecticut, USA. There you it'll, go. It'll, it'll make its way here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get us into the free picks. We're going to start off with a Famicom game, and this is a pretty obscure one called Honu no Dakyuji Dodge Danpei 2. And this is Tama Theme 1, and the cool thing about this one is it's a Manami Matsume track using the Sunsoft bass. Dat Sunsoft bass. Yeah, so let's give it a listen. Alright, that was Honu no Dokuji Dodge Danpei 2, released on the Famicom from Sunsoft in 1993. That was Tama Theme 1 from Manami Matsumai. I love this track. I love that. It's, it's You know, you hear so much of that Sunsoft bass with Naoki Kodaka's composition. And so you kind of only hear it used in one way, but when you get a different composer behind that that bass sample and with a different kind of game behind it, you mm-hmm. really kind of understand that it, it can be used in a lot of different ways. And so you don't really hear Kodaka compose in like a 50s style no. at all. Yeah, I was going to say, most of the tracks that you picked for this episode are very like... 50s sock hop. Rock. Yeah, I know, and it, it wasn't Very bluesy. It wasn't by any sort of um, purpose at all. I think I just accidentally came across a lot of tracks that sounded like that that really appealed to me. So, or you've swapped bodies with my dad, your dad. <laughs> yeah. And well, I did grow up listening to this music yeah. because my parents are huge fans of 50s and doo-wop. Right. So that was all I heard in the car when I was a kid. So it's it's cool hearing video game music that I love, kind of in that style that I grew up in. But that, that bass line just takes the cake for this track. It's it's so traditional, <laughs> but it sounds like an upright bass instead of like a like a thrashy electric bass like it usually does, mm-hmm. you know, with Kodaka's stuff. That's so funny that you grew up listening to, like, 50s music. Yeah. Because it really tells our age difference because I grew up listening to whatever was on the radio, really. I mean, there was some stuff that... We li- like Grateful Dead, like their newest album that had just come out, like back in like 88, 88, 86, something like that. Yeah. Michael Jackson, like Madonna, like whatever was on the radio, pretty much. Like right. 90s R&B, like uh, New Jack Swing, like all that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. See, so we, we never had control of the radio in the oh, car really? when we were kids. It was always whatever my parents were listening to. So okay. we were kind of like force fed a lot of the Motown. And, and, huh. and it's not that it's bad music. Sure, at sure. All. I don't know if I would have listened to it voluntarily if, you know, if I wasn't always in the car with it on. Right. And this was even in the days before, like, Walkman. So I couldn't even, like, 
you know, drown it out with headphones or right. anything like that. Wow, that's rough. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, it was it was great to listen to and to kind of have that experience. And so a lot of this, this music, even though it was new to me, kind of brought me back to that, that old, you know, style mm-hmm. that I used to listen to when I was a kid. So, but yeah, this game... Is an interesting game. Yes, uh, I did get a chance. We, you and I, played the Japanese version. Right. Um, we couldn't get anywhere. Couldn't figure out what we were doing, <laughs> and then we watched some some YouTube footage and, and found out that you know, it's basically like at the beginning you're assembling a dodgeball team mm-hmm. uh, from what we gathered, and it was pretty cool. It was like a side scrolling, and you can go like in and out of doorways and then stuff, kind of similar to how you do in like River City Ransom. Right. And so we were trying to get to the point where you'd actually play some dodgeball. And then we looked at some YouTube footage and, and saw that it was actually a card-based mm-hmm. game. So you would play dodgeball, but you would use cards to play, similar was... to like a lot of the uh, like Neo Geo Pocket Color games that, right. that came out in the in the in the future from this one. And so we were kind of bummed out about it a little bit. Definitely. Uh, later on, I did patch the game with a translation, so I was able to get to the point where you would actually battle. And it, it is actually kind of fun. It's pretty fast-paced. Mm-hmm. There's some really cool like animations and sound effects, so it wasn't as bad as I was thinking. And, and of course, this this music, you know, this is only one of the, the many Helps songs that are on the soundtrack. Yeah. So, uh, and it all kind of keeps that kind of... 50s funky vibe going on and it was just great to hear Matsumai's work like I said with with that with that bass sample so I had some fun playing it I I couldn't foresee myself playing this game long term no uh, no one because Me neither card based game which I've never been a big fan of but uh, also the fact that it it takes you so long to get to that point mm. I would have been done with it. I think if you knew what you were doing, you would probably get there in like thirty seconds to yeah, a minute. Probably. Um, you know, from from the YouTube walkthrough that I saw, it was it was relatively quick. I think I skipped to like two minutes in, and it, they were already starting to okay. play a card games. So gotcha. we were just kind of wandering around because everything was in Japanese. So we mm-hmm. were like talking to different people, right, and trying to right. select different options, and kind of like you know going blind. So. Yeah. But decent game to try out, especially if you have the the translation. It's great to hear the soundtrack. And uh, if you like card-based battle games, then this might be something that you might want to do. I would say more than any other uh, Maname Matsume game, this is a soundtrack delivery system, as you put it. (laughs) For me, at least. Um, Matsume, we've talked about before. Mega Man, Trip World, Mighty No. 9, Shovel Knight. You know. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, she's, she's a great composer. She did that game that I've talked about, but still can't find. It's a Turbo Graphics game. It's like F1 Dream or something. Oh like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Really, really phenomenal, good underrated soundtrack. Yeah. Sounds just like her Mega Man stuff if it was on Turbo Graphics. Yeah. I, I came across this completely by accident. I was uh, I had just loaded up my iPhone with a ton of Nintendo song files and was kind of listening to them at random on the way home from work for like an entire week. And this one just popped on, and I was like, "Whoa, this is a Kodaka song I've never heard. This doesn't right. even sound like him." Yeah. I went home and uh, you know looked up the title and uh, and the composer. I was like, "Wow, I had no idea she even worked for Sunsoft." So that Sunsoft based yeah, trickery. It was just a, it was just a really happy coincidence to to be able to find this one. So yeah, it's a good happy go lucky song. Yeah, exactly. So speaking of uh, kind of obscure chiptune soundtrack, well, this yeah. probably isn't as obscure as Dodge Dan Pay Two is. No, but no. What do you got next for us, Ernest Evans? for the Sega Genesis, and this is part of the, I guess, Ernest Evans trilogy, which is consisting of Ernest Evans, uh, Ernest El- Evans, Ernest Evans, extremely Ernest yes. Evans. <laughs> Ernest goes to Evans. <laughs> uh, Ernest Evans, El Viento, and uh, Annette Futabe, right. which was a mega CD game. So Ernest Evans for the Genesis is stage one, and it's by Motoy Sakuraba. Hooray. 
Welcome back. That was Ernest Evans on the Sega Genesis. Came out in 1992. The track is Stage 1, and it's by Motoi Sakuraba. This game is ridiculous. But first, let's talk about the music. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love this track. Oh, it's so good. It's very fast. Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of makes me think that he sampled a lot of those uh, percussion sounds from like the X68000 or like okay. the 2608 because it sounds very similar to that. And I love, it's just a personal preference of mine, but I love when like snare samples get cut short because the next sample is playing. So like right. you get doosh, but then sometimes you just get doosh. Like yeah, yeah. it makes the drums feel a little more natural. So I really enjoyed that part of it. I just love that Sakuraba bass. Yeah. I think that's yeah. gonna be a new thing for me. It's super, <laughs> super pounding. Really nice bell tones. Like the the sounds in this are, are extremely good. This is like one of those soundtracks mm -hmm. that you show somebody when they're like, oh, FM music is terrible. Yeah. And like, well, take Dude, a look at this one. Yeah. I would say it's less gallopy and more like punkish. It's got that just ticka ticka yeah, ticka ticka yeah. ticka. It's just like constant. I definitely hear it, that. It and beats it, up your eardrums. For for a first level of a game, it's really high energy. So yeah. you're kind of already like just jumping into that game oh, as yeah. soon as the song starts to play. It's uh, it, it uses the motif from the intro uh, track as right. well. I believe that this this is it goes throughout the entire game. I don't know. I couldn't get past stage two. We we sat down <laughs> and played this game for good this, reason. This game is ridiculous. Have you ever played Quop? Yes. Oh, I was going to mention that. Very to you. similar it's, to that. It's like it's like an action game. If if Quop was an action <laughs> game, you 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 play as this guy Ernest Evans, and it takes place during the 1930s. It's a 2D side-scrolling like Castlevania-ish type game. You even get a whip too. It's like Indiana Jones meets Castlevania meets, Castlevania. meets Quop <laughs> meets Quop. Exactly. Perfect. You're actually playing as Ernest Evans the Third, who is continuing his. Uh, grandfather's quest to uh, save humanity. The earnestness has yes. has punctuated throughout it, generations. It is passed down. So this game does kind of starts off the Ernest Evans trilogy, which as I mentioned before is Ernest Evans, El Viento, and Annette Futabe. In those other two games you're playing as a girl named Annette Meyer, who you end up meeting in this game. This did get a Mega CD port as well. Unfortunately, it was exclusive to the Sega Mega CD. And uh, Annette Futabe also only saw Mega CD. So the only okay. two games we'll that came out... We'll have to play, because I can play Japanese releases. Yeah, so. the only game that came out in the U.S. was Ernest Evans on the Genesis and El Viento on the Genesis, which okay. are all composed, all three are composed by Sakuraba. Awesome, awesome soundtracks. All really good yeah, stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so this game, it's a 2D action game, and you're going through, and the very first thing that you notice is... How ridiculous Ernest Evans moves. Well, yeah, it looks like it's like a, like a, all a of flash his limbs. Game. Yeah, the oh. limbs are all kind of independent of each other, and yeah. they all kind of move outside of his body. So, <laughs> we'll have to put up some footage for the people that haven't played it. Oh my god, it's it was just, so much ridiculous. fun to play. Yeah, you're just one like. I don't even know how to explain it, but Mike and I were just both like hilariously we hollering as yeah. we were playing this oh, game. Oh, it was so funny. Like, your your arms are like moving all over the place while your legs are moving, so it's like your arms are moving in in like... Like those stick puppets. Yeah. You know, like the shadow puppets that yeah. you see like people put these like characters on sticks and yep, then yep. Their, their limbs kind of, they're made of paper on right. hinges and they move back and forth. It exactly. looks exactly like that. Exactly. It's, it's so crazy. And the bosses are kind of like the enemies, some of the enemies are kind of similar to that too. There's this giant skeleton guy with a sickle who I just could not defeat. It was mm. just too difficult. The game is fun. It's a really fun action game. So I definitely recommend picking it up. It's still pretty cheap and very, very unknown. I've yet to pick it up, but I definitely plan on it after this podcast. So, yes. Yeah, definitely good, a fun good, one. Yeah, definitely 
really fun. And you can't go wrong with Sakuraba's action music. It's just so good. Right. This was a Wolf Team game, wasn't it? This was developed by Wolf Team. It was published in America by Renovation, which... Okay. Actually, I don't know if they you handled heard, most of the Wolf Team I, stuff. I think Sega bought out. No, that was Techno, TechnoSoft. Sega bought right. out TechnoSoft. Right. Yeah, I always get TechnoSoft and Renovation confused because the game's soundtracks are so high energy and yeah. action packed. They existed around the same time. And they too. have that Sakuraba base. Yeah, and it's a shame because when they released El Viento, it didn't have that kind of like flash style movement that no. Ernest Evans did. It no. was like an entirely different game. It was so. a totally. Actually, all three of the games are completely different. I mean. Ernest Evans, I will say that I had a lot of difficulty with the whip as far as like yeah. we were trying to hook on to like 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 throw ourselves. Yeah, it was like Super Castlevania 4 style. Right, but so goofy because yeah. when you actually do hook it and throw yourself, it, you he, go, like, like, he goes lengthwise and he's like tumbling over himself. Yeah, he's like tumbling and you try to crawl like under like underground and you're like crawling, but like it looks almost like your arms are going yeah. in circles. Oh, it's just so ridiculous. I just imagined if it was an anime, it would be like Lupin the Third, where yeah, like yeah. he's just like bumbling through these action sequences yeah. and having no idea what's going on. Um, El Viento is a lot more straightforward of an action game. Yeah. Uh, it's it's it controls completely different, and Annette Futabe is actually a beat 'em up. Right. So all three games are like just completely different, but they all have fantastic. Sakuraba soundtracks. That's uh, what most Wolf Team games did. Yeah, I, we don't really need to go into Sakuraba's details. Uh, Mario sports games, pretty much all of them with uh, Camelot. Yep. Uh, El Viento, Arcus, Odyssey, the Tales series, Valkyrie Profile. I mean, really, what hasn't he done? <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't do Hono no Dokuji Dodge Dampei 2. That's true. That. That's true. And he also didn't do the next game we're coming up with. So uh, this one is kind of an obscure Amiga title called Winter Camp. And this one came out in 1992. This is the patrol theme from Renair Van Vliet. And uh, let's take a listen. back that was winter camp released on the amiga in 1992 that was the patrol theme from renair van vliet i kind of crossed this one again kind of accidentally i was <laughs> i was searching for winter tracks you know for our winter episode right right and uh, a lot of these are leftovers from like somewhat like yeah some of your tracks that you picked are yeah. leftovers so i kind of kept this in the in my little back pocket uh, for a time when I felt that it would be appropriate to unleash it into the world, and this is the time, so wow. it's crazy. You know, it's not, it's kind of a wintry track, but it's not, I felt it wasn't really wintry enough to be in that episode. I feel like it's yeah. more like a, 
it almost felt like springtime or just like very lazy, yeah. laid back, you know, that kind it's of like drum much, cadence. Much more lighthearted than a winter trek. It doesn't, you know what it is? It doesn't have those jingles. The jingle bell yeah. kind of sound. You know, sound. if that were in the background, this would definitely, definitely feel be a lot a winter. more wintery. This game is terrible. It's so bad. <laughs> I mean, we had fun playing it. It's for kids. I, it's in a, quotations, playing it. It's an Amiga game for little kids. Well, those little, little kids, I feel bad for them. Yeah. But, you know, I like the little violins in the background, and mm -hmm. it, it just has that kind of uh, demo scene feel to it. Oh, is, definitely. It's no surprise, because Van Vliet was a singer before he started making music. He started off, like, writing stuff for the Commodore 64 when he was, like, 12 years old. Oh, wow. So he's just one of those, those, you know, guys that really had a natural aptitude for music. Sure. Uh, although he didn't really focus on music, he was mostly uh, programming. So he did programming for the Amiga versions of Invader, Black Belt Challenge, Hoi, Clockwiser, and Ball Raider 2. Wait, Hoi? Hoi, H-O-I. That's a game? What is it? Hoi is a small green dinosaur who must venture through five levels to reach the area in which female dinosaurs live in the hope of finding a perfect match. That makes total sense. Small green dinosaur trying to get laid. Yeah. Hoi. Yeah, it's a platforming game. That's what he says when he finds her. Hoi! He goes, Hoi! You! Come <laughs> here! Let's make babies. So uh, Van Vliet also did uh, Bump and Burn, uh, Barobader, the planet of doom, um, and Ball Raider 2, speaking of which. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what was that another one? Turn and Burn? What Bump and Burn. Bump and Burn. Bump and Burn. Bump Ball and, Raider. Bump and Burn is what happens when Hoy meets the wrong kind of dinosaur. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And this then, game, we were playing it, and it's like a, it's like a mini game themed. Like, there are several different mini games, right? Yeah. Right. And there's this one where you're playing as what was it? We were going against a penguin, right? Ice it was skating. an ice skating game, right? And what I, you were you like, have to a, rotate the joystick. Yeah. So we're trying to play this game, and we're like, we're not moving. What I'm are like, we doing? I'm what's like, going I'm on? like, Ed, you're not moving. <laughs> and he's like, I don't know what's going on. So then we finally figure out that you've got to rotate the the joystick, or in our case, the D-pad. So you turn on the PlayStation 2s or the PlayStation 3s analog stick, and you're you're going, and you're still slower than the guy. I'm like, Ed, you're you're still slow. Like you're still not going. <laughs> and this little duck is like beating me out. Yeah, this yeah. Kids game. I'm like, what am I doing? So uh, the game is about Maximus Mouse. And he, it's a, it's basically a sequel to Summer Camp, which also starred the same character. Mm. So he's now a rescue ranger at Camp Nice and Icy. Um, but I think he Chip sees, and Dale uh, are going to have uh, problems with that. Yeah, yeah. No, this was pre-Chip and Dale. Oh, yeah. Well, pre-Rescue Rangers, not pre-Chip and, Chip and Dale are old as hell, but mm, Rescue Rangers. I'm going to, um, no, no, it's not. What? 1992? 92? Rescue Rangers came out in 88, I oh, think. Oh, all right. 87? Well, okay. Something like that. But I mean, a rescue ranger is a thing. Right. So it's not like it was called Maximus Mouse's Rescue Rangers on the right. title or True. anything like that. So. I want to be a rescue ranger. Anyway, so Maximus Mouse looks up at this mountain that's overlooking the camp, and he sees a pebble on the top of the mountain, and he sees an eagle that was going to knock the pebble down the mountain, thus causing a giant snowball avalanche as it rolls down right. and destroying the entire camp. Mm -hmm. So somehow they built these mini games into the plot so that... Um, Maximus Mouse can get to this mountain in time so that he doesn't, he'll like remove the pebble so it doesn't destroy the entire camp. So right. that's kind of the plot of behind course. the whole game. Very simple, but of course, like I said, it is a kid's game. Um, the music is just, it's just fun stuff. Van Vliet did some designing work on the game 
and then also wrote the music for it. And uh, this was kind of when he was starting off with the Amiga. So it's it's pretty simple stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's very kid friendly, and uh, you know, I think for the quality of the game, the music really matches it very well because it doesn't need to be like this giant super, um, you know, like some Amiga music that we'll get to later on in the in, in the right. in the show. It doesn't need to be big and grand wow like that. True, so, true, true. Yeah, fun track. All right. Well, going from little kid stuff to big adult... Big kid stuff. Big kid stuff. This next game is Lord of Arcana for the PlayStation Portable. It came out in 2011. This track is Versus Master Guardian 3, and it's composed by Nobuo Uematsu, and it's arranged by Satoshi Henmi, Kimio Ituyama, Kenichiro Fukoi, and Yoshitaka Suzuki and Sutomo Narita. Let's hit it. Welcome back. That was Lord of Arcana for the PlayStation Portable. In 2011, it was released. 
The name of the track is Versus Master Guardian 3, and that was composed by Nobuo Uematsu and arranged by Satoshi Henmi, Kimio Itoyama, Kenichiro Fukoi, Yoshitaka Suzuki, and Sutomo Narita. I dig this track. I mean, this is this is totally my type of music. I mean, heavy metal mixed with you've got these great like orchestral sounding moments that come in later in the track. When the track breaks down, it's got the guitar that kind of comes in. It's playing like the really high end riff that kind of comes in, and then you've got these like rolling orchestral like dun 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 like stabs. Yeah, I, I really yeah. like that part. But it it's just a balls to the wall awesome heavy metal track. So I was really surprised when you told me that it was Nobuo Uematsu because yeah. I was like I've never heard anything like this come from him before. I'm, I'm assuming the arrangers did a lot of arranging. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I mean, we've seen Uematsu do tons of different stuff. Yeah, true. Uh, in true. terms of tracks like Rad Racer, he did. Uh, tracks that didn't really sound like his traditional American, RPG. American rock. Right, yeah. right, right. And then also, you know, the classical stuff. So. He's also a big fan of stuff like Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he, that was his main inspiration for One Wing Angel on Final Fantasy VII. Right, so, right. you know, I, I think he kind of takes inspiration from a lot of stuff. Plus, I know uh, at least a few of these guys were members in Earthbound Papas, which was his yeah. cover band uh, that kind of evolved out of the Black Mages, which was another cover band that he used where he basically played all his tracks that he did for Final Fantasy games. Yeah, so. rock arrangements of his Final Fantasy Right, stuff. right. So I kind of think that he had these guys come on, come aboard and say, hey, you know, let's let's play these. Satoshi Henmi and Kimio Itoyama and Sutomo Narita all only worked on this, on this game. Okay. But, so they must have, were they members of Earthbound Papas? Uh, I believe so. They okay. were, two of them were credited with just guitar. Like arrangement okay. for guitar. So either they were like session musicians that just came in for the soundtrack, or uh, you know, they were personal friends of his or something. Uh, Kenichiro Fukoi worked on a lot of different oh, yeah. stuff. Sunset Riders, Lethal Enforcers, Einhander. He right, was he was an old Konami dude. Right. Final Fantasy IV, the arranged remix or remake for that. Uh, Final Fantasy XI Revenant Wings and Final Fantasy XIV Online uh, were some of his games. Yoshitaka Suzuki worked on Dark Souls 2. He was a lead programmer. Uh, Dark Souls 2, Scholar of the First Sin. Adventures of Cookies and Cream, he was a programmer. He's more of like a programmer, if you will. So most of his stuff is uh, programming. He did do some arrangement and composition for games like Ace Combat, Assault Horizon, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. He did additional music on Bayonetta. He was the main composer along with Ninja Blade. And so, you know, kind of got right, yeah. started with a. Uh, That's Konami. why his name sounded familiar, because we played a Ninja Blade track in Right. The past. And uh, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops, Metal Gear Solid 4, Guns of the Patriots. He did some additional music. His last arrangement was Final Fantasy XIII 2 in 2014. That's funny, because Fukui started off at Konami and went to Square, and then Suzuki started off at Square and went to Konami. Right, right. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Yeah. Speaking as a person who doesn't really like this type of music so much, I found this track very tolerable. I think a lot of the more orchestral parts added a little bit mm. to it in terms of what I what I like about music. I really like that call and response 
towards the end where the guitars are like da 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 and then the bass would go da 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 yeah like that was very like trans-siberian orchestra mm-hmm. style stuff so i like that just just before the loop happens but on, on the whole this soundtrack isn't only this kind of music right right uh, there was a lot of kind of like electronic stuff in there i heard some like just straight up kind of rock style yeah, or some new metal kind of music yeah there's orchestral. a orchestral it really i mean that's probably why there's so many arrangers on mm-hmm. here because they all kind of took on their own styles and then added to the soundtrack yeah so. there's a lot going on with this game i i actually recently just talked about this game on my a video that i did where i kind of highlighted three playstation portable games that came out that were exclusive to the system that didn't really get a lot a lot of attention and mm. this was definitely one of them so check that video out so you can kind of get a little bit more we're not going to go that in depth on the story it's basically the game takes place in a world called horodin and uh, there's this stone called the Arcana, which is uh, this magical power, powerful stone. It's an enchanted stone that will basically save all of mankind. You play as this character who doesn't really have a name. You can assign him or her a name. Uh, the Adventurer. Yeah, the yeah. Wanderer. But they're called, they're part of, I, I guess, these warriors known as Slayers, who basically take on all these like enemies, these monsters and beasts and stuff. The game is very similar to God Eater and Monster Hunter. Isolated combat scenes with RPG elements, yeah. Right, right. Real-time combat. Yeah, there's a central hub that you get into once you pass the introductory level, and uh, you can join a guild. And this is multiplayer, too, which is cool, because if you've got some local friends that want to play, you can all sit down and and take on these these enemies. So it's very similar to, like, Fantasy Star Portable. Uh, If you've played that for the PSP, it's, it's very similar. So definitely a neat, fun game. I felt like this one was a lot more accessible than God Eater. There was a lot more engagement with the enemies in this game, so I I would recommend this. It's also super, super cheap, so uh, pick it up while you can. And if you like a challenge, this one's good for that, too. Yes. Oh, so I meant to tell you, actually, since we're, we're talking about this. So I went back into the game after we had sat down and played a little bit, and I was getting my butt kicked, uh, and I found out that... Like, one enemy hit was taken off yeah, more than half like, of life. It yeah, was insane. It was crazy, and I realized that I didn't equip any armor. You I son know. of a... Yeah, so I actually equipped the armor and went back in, and it was a lot more I can playable. imagine. Yeah. You were basically going into battle naked. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but that is about it for Lord of Arcana. I think it's a cool little title that you guys should definitely check out. It, it's It's got some rock, it's got some metal, it's got some orchestral, it's got some electronics, so definitely check it out. Cool. What's next? Next up is a game that's completely in the opposite wheelhouse. Yes. This is called Else Heartbreak. This is a Steam release, came out in 2016. This one is called Gens from El Huervo.
And that was Jens from Else Heartbreak. Came out on Steam in actually 2015. I misspoke before we came back from the... Uh, oh, yeah, podcast 2015 released late 2015, which confused me. That was written by El Huervo, who I remember from the Miami Hotline soundtrack. El I really enjoyed his. Yeah, I really enjoyed his stuff. This was a game I probably never would have played if it hadn't been for the Humble Bundle Best of 2016 collection. And so, uh, you know, I just dropped a couple bucks and got this in a package with a whole bunch of other games. Currently, I think on Steam, it's selling for like $25 or so. So I got this really, really cheap. And I was I was happy with it. You know, I've been playing it a little bit. I played it a little bit more since Mike and I talked about it a couple days ago. It's like an emergent, real-time role-playing game. And the music happens like it would in real life. So you'll be walking by a storefront and you'll hear this music coming from outside mm-hmm. or you know you'll be in a bedroom and uh, this will be playing on a, on, a, on a home stereo or something like that so there's no real background music per se like cinematic style for the game it's mm-hmm. it, it's all kind of happens organically in your environment as you're walking around it this one really reminded me of little big planet okay the soundtrack is very very similar yeah. to, to what this sounds like it's got that those or at least this drums. song in particular. Yeah, those right. kind of you know glitchy uh, keyboard lines, very very dancey stuff with those little like xylophone parts in the background. I really really enjoyed it. Really reminded me of that stuff. This was kind of like Gorillas meets like Junior Senior. Yeah, I uh, very see that. very similar. If you've heard either of those two artists, that definitely like especially Junior Senior. Like if if you told me that Junior Senior wrote this track, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it, it's it's yeah, good. It's, it's very that, catchy, that, that very genre. fun. It's a little repetitive for my taste, but uh, I really do dig the track. The problem is, I really didn't like this game. Right, I, I didn't I mean, show you very much of it that was true. like exciting. But you know, you know, you guys know how I how I roll. If I am playing a game and I mean, we played for a good, like, 15 minutes, 20 yeah, minutes. Yeah, I was kind of wandering around blindly. Yeah, and I was just like, all right, so first off, in that time span, there was almost no music that played in the background, other than some <laughs> ambient noise of, like, trains and stuff like that. Yeah. He's going around, and uh, visually, it's really captivating. It's really cool to look at. Uh, the world is almost like a uh, like a 3D, like, like 3D bit Heroes, I think that, that's the name of the game. Yeah, 3D yeah, yeah. Dot 3D Heroes. Dot Heroes. Yeah, yeah. Whatever that game is for the PS3. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that. It's like it's like 8-bit come to a 3D world. Right. The camera is awful. I mean, I, I was watching you play and you're like rotating the camera around. You're like, oh, it's like a point and click game. So you're clicking to where you want to go. You have to manually zoom in and oh. out. And if you zoom out too far, it goes behind buildings and yeah. kind of steers your vision. And I'm like, dude, you can't even see where you're yeah. going. So like in smaller rooms, it worked well. Like when you were in the, the train, that was working fine. But then you were having problems like trying to go upstairs because you were clicking. And it was like, the game was like, nah, dude, I don't yep, know so where you want to go. Place. Yeah. The focus of the game is on the gameplay aspect. And there is kind of a hacking slash coding aspect to this game where eventually you get this they call it a, a pad I believe mm-hmm. and so you come to realize that the, the game kind of like goes very meta and almost breaks the fourth wall that you are in a game and all of the things around you are electronic mm. and so you can get a cigarette and you can hack the cigarette and you can hack it with code that makes time go by more quickly so you use the cigarette and then all of a sudden like time starts flying by Mm -hmm. and so you can skip multiple days if you need to get to a certain event Mm -hmm. you can hack a sandwich and eat it and all of a sudden you look more attractive to the people around you Mm. so there's 
cool stuff that goes on and there's different things you have to do and you have to like hack doors. You can hack a door to make it go to a different place. So if you see a spot that you normally can't get to, you can hack a door as long as you know the coordinates for that particular room and have that door bring you to that, that room instead of where it would normally go. Like when you first get to the hotel that you say at the beginning of the game, you, you walk into what's supposed to be your hotel room and it ends up being a broom closet. And then you have to go down and talk to the hotel proprietor mm -hmm. and he sends a guy up with a pod to, to unhack or unstick your door, like right. un debug it basically yeah, so yeah. you can get into your bedroom. That's kind of how you learn how the, the world works. Um, I haven't really gotten that far into the game yet, mm -hmm. but that concept really intrigues me as to exactly what you can do. And there's this whole programming language that mm -hmm. you can learn about by picking up floppy disks and sticking them in computers around the world. Right. So again, not your kind of game at all, Mike. I, no. I, I don't blame you for not. <laughs> it's 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 intensive. It's very cerebral. It's what most people would find probably very stressful, but for people like me where I'm kind of interested in coding and stuff like that, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm interested in what I can learn from the game as I play it. So. This is definition of insanity the game for me. Yeah, yeah. I need a point A to yeah. point B kind well, of this, thing. Well, this eventually you do find this girl. Right. And then the whole object of the game ends up being that you want to date this girl. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's called Else Heartbreak. It's kind of like code, right. but you know, will you get your heart broken in the process. Mm -hmm. So uh, eventually that it comes to that point where you're starting to hack things to like get this relationship going and things don't always have the consequences that you're anticipating right, and stuff right. like that. So you kind of get challenged by it. But the beginning of the game is kind of a tutorial in, in how to get all this stuff working so that you can you can play that story part mm -hmm. of the game. So uh, like I said, El Huervo, um, his real name is Nicholas Alkerblad. And uh, he is, I guess, part Swedish and part Colombian, which is a really interesting mix. Makes sense with El Huervo. Yeah, so, and his music kind of does take on that Latin slash kind of like dance floor style music, Who's so. Huervo Balls? That's Huevo. Oh, that's Huevo. Yeah. I was yeah, going to yeah, say, yeah. is his name The Balls? <laughs> <laughs> Ball Jacks. But uh, yeah, you can check him out at elhuervo.bandcamp.com. He's got a lot of albums out, a lot of different soundtracks to some different games. Um, really good stuff. This particular soundtrack for Else Heartbreak has like 50-something tracks and is three and a half hours long. There's a mm -hmm. ton of music. This must be a really long game then, because when we were yeah. playing, we didn't really encounter that much music. So I'm, I'm right. feeling like the music that is there is... Deep, I feel like you might not deep. even encounter all the music as you go through the game. Really? Just, just, well, just based on how it occurs. So mm -hmm. you might go into a, a club and the DJ is spinning a particular track. Right, right. And depending on what time you go, their uh, set list might be different. That's cool. You know, all of these characters remember things and have their own personalities. So you might end up, you know, not hearing a, a track on a DJ's playlist no matter yeah. how many times you go to this club throughout the game. So Seems like an interesting concept that yeah. just... I don't know. It, 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 if it's your bag, it's your bag. If it's not, then you're like me and yeah. you're like, dude, okay. I'm if you're interested go in it, go check out some <laughs> YouTube playthroughs before you buy it right. and see if it floats your boat. Right. It right. might not. So, anyways, let's move on to our next track. And uh, this is Mike's pick, which means happy action style. <laughs> this is definitely a classic. Battle Squadron for the Amiga came out in 1989. This is in game one and it's by Ron Claren. Let's give it a listen.
here's a sneak peek at the intro to the upcoming farming simulator shoot 'em up cattle squadron. Well, how diddly dee to y'all on that Super McRadio? I'm Captain Doodle McGee, that's with three E's, and this here's Jiggins. Howdy. We're here to tell y'all about a mission y'all gotta go on. See, after Commander Bergen and Commander Myers were brought back to the Earth Defense Force, the Barrax Empire was defeated. So, now we got no reason to be in that there space world. So, we came back to living the good life. That's right, Jiggins, but that don't mean our adventure stops there. Your mission if y'all choose to accept it, is to take on the evil Lormarks and his ranch of devil cattle. Destroy his cattle with our herd of milk cows that can be armed with that TNT rifle we got wired up to it. <laughs> Blast them all to hell. Whoa, and make sure to gather up all the moonshine bottles for extra fiery firepower. Good luck and Godspeed. Before you go, stay the night and have some of old Ma's cooking. I heard she made sweet tater pie. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Blast your way through Cattle Squadron, the sequel to Battle Squadron, released exclusively on the Super Commodore Amiga 64 DVD, coming out in the summer of 1935. Yeehaw! Welcome back, that was Battle Squadron for the Amiga, came out in 1989, and that was in game one, and that was by Ron Claren. Man, I have known about this song for almost 10 years. Wow. If not longer, probably longer. Never knew the game. And I was going through, trying to pick some games out for this episode, and stumbled upon this track, and was like, oh my god, I was like, I know this song. I was like, this was a, on a disc that my buddy gave me way back in the day, who he was super into Amiga music and he was like, you gotta check this stuff out. And he got me into Amiga music. So it's weird, like this is the first and only system I ever got into through the music first <laughs> and then started checking out the games like only fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. Cause I mean, I didn't own an Amiga and I still don't and I don't have any plans on buying one. So it's just really cool to see these games come out and to kind of like look back into the past and be like, oh, that that's from that game. So it's like I'm listening to these tracks for years and years and years, and now all of a sudden I'm, I, I have a visual that I can like attach it to, which is kind of <laughs> neat. So you didn't have any names for any of the tracks? I don't. It was just like a burn CD it, it was a, tunes. Right, it was a burn CD. It was just like track one, track two, track three. Like, yeah. And it was like 16, 17 songs. So how did you end up associating this this track with Battle Squadron? Then? I was looking online on YouTube for, you know, just music to play on the episode. And uh, for whatever reason, I stumbled upon Amiga stuff. And I think it was because I was listening to like some Turrican stuff. And then I saw like a best of one of those like best of YouTube clips or whatever for mm -hmm. Amiga Music and Battle Squadron came up and it's like, oh, I've, I've, I think I've seen the Sega Genesis game for that. And so I clicked it and heard the music. It was like, oh my God, I totally remember this track. <laughs> That's really funny. So the Genesis version of this game, actually, the music is way worse. Like it's just definitely not as Yeah, good. not by the same composer. No, either. no. Yeah. Um, but, well, the, the tracks are the same composition They're wise. just arranged different. Yeah, right. that's, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. Ron Claren didn't, didn't oh, work on the FM version. It, not as good. But the game is way more playable. So Battle Squadron, you play 
as this this ship and you're going through basically to stop the evil Barax Empire. Barax Empire, yeah. And you're trying to rescue these two commanders that have this this girl and this guy that, you know, I guess were caught by this group, these, these evil bad guys. So, you know, it's a pretty, you know, kind of generic spaceship shooter, but man, we were playing the Amiga version. We had such difficulty because the bullets are so big and they're so frantic and all over the place, and your ship is like so slow. Yeah, and your ship is big too. Yeah, so it's, yeah. And there's no, it's not one of those games where there's like a tiny little hitbox. No. Your entire ship is the hitbox. Right. So if the bullet touches any part of your ship, you're you're done. That's it. We got to like I think the second stage without yeah too too much problem. But yeah, it's 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 hard. The mm-hmm. bullets come at you from all different directions. Ships will start flying up from the bottom of the screen and shooting at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you got bullets coming from the rear. That's what she said. That's what she said. Uh, yeah, so it was it was tough, but the the music is fantastic. Oh yeah, you know, shout out to Pixelated Audio. They did a, a whole episode on right. on Battle Squadron. And, I meant to go uh, back and Claire listen and to stuff. that one. Yeah, great great show. Um, so you get to learn a lot about the, the game and stuff. In game music is one of my favorites. You know, I think mm-hmm. you had the title music picked out first. Yeah, originally you started playing the game, and you were like, "Oh, I forgot about the in game music." Yeah, so yeah. Like, yeah. I was let's like, "Do this one instead." Yeah, it's funny because I didn't know that the in game music was also part of Battle Squadron. So I had heard the main. Oh, you theme. thought there were two different games, right? So I had heard <laughs> the main theme and the intro music or the first stage music, and thought that they were two completely different games. That's funny. Yeah, that's just how it goes when you get a disc full of Amiga stuff that you have no idea. Yeah. Have, so, so now you have some association yeah, with that stuff. It's kind of so. cool. The yeah. uh, Genesis version plays way better. Like it's a lot faster. Your ship's a little smaller. It's better, like in terms of gameplay. But the sound effects overpower the music. Oh yeah. And the music to begin with is Same not as good. Same with this game too, though. I yeah. mean, uh, even on the Amiga, you know, we were shooting guys down. There yeah. were huge like explosion sounds. And the explosions were cutting would, out the music. They would cut tracks out yeah. of, the, of the sound. So. Yeah. You know, it's it's nice to be able to hear the Amiga, the Amiga music by itself because you can hear the song in its entirety without having to play through it. Right. But this song has a very heroic feel to it. Very thick drums. Mm-hmm. Lots yeah, of like, yeah, very 80s, yeah, yeah. 80s big beat style stuff. You know, like Genesis, like the Phil mm-hmm. Collins toms. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely a product of its time. I mean, 89 was prime, prime time for that kind of music. I love the sound effects that kind of get spread out throughout all of the soundtrack, those little like, like, and then like, like really like loud, bombastic, cool sound effects that kind of fill the track and it gives it a lot more volume and, and boomy, yeah, yeah. There's lots sounds. of ambience that does also right. include um, musical parts to it as well, which yep, is really yep. cool. Ron Claren only worked on this and Amiga Classics 4 in 2004. I'm well, Amiga Classics like 4 a... was a compilation of right. games and Battle Squadron was on. That's why he's credited for right. it because that's. And included his his game with his music. Makes sense. Yep. So that's all I got. Yeah, like I said, if you want to hear more about Ron Claren, definitely go check out that pixelated audio because you get to learn a lot more about him. Mm -hmm. So let's move on to our next track. This is a weird one. It's an interesting one. It's Tupari Ozumo Risen Suseihen, otherwise known as Shoving Sumo Success in Career. (laughs) Came out for the Super Famicom in 1993. This is Big Sumo Blues by Keiji Yamagishi and Kaori Nakabai.
All right, that was Supari Uzumo, recent Susei Hen, otherwise known as Shoving Sumo, Success in Career, came out on the Super Famicom in 1993. The track title was Big Sumo Blues from Keiji Yamagishi and Kaori Nakabai. I feel like that's a track that Mr. Belding would have played over the air on Saved by the Bell <laughs> as the big bopper. Yeah, you're right. A, well, it's a very, very, right. well, it's a very 50s style song. Oh, yeah. But it also has these really cool Asian elements that they work in there. So True. it almost feels like there's some shamisen or maybe a koto. But then you've also got like saxophone mm-hmm. and a regular like rock style drum kit. It's just, it's so well composed. And I love that, that cold ending. Like it's a, it's a full three minute song. It mm-hmm. doesn't repeat. You don't really hear that on the Super Famicom or the Super Nintendo yeah. very much. You don't get a lot of songs that just end. It's usually just they fade out yeah. or they loop. But yeah, you don't really get too much that just flat out ends. Yeah, and this definitely brought me back. I mean, this this is this has all the tropes of like your traditional doo-wop song and it, it sounds great. Like you can almost hear you know, lyrics being sung over this this tune, whether it's you know ab- above that lead line or as the as the lead line. A- again, this is another one where I was kind of like just randomly listening to tracks in my car, and I heard this. I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" And then that that cold ending really stuck with me. I was like, "Wow, I, you never hear music like that on a Super Nintendo." So I uh, definitely wanted to share this one. And it's it's from a sumo game, like of all places. So I was kind of interested to see what the game was all about too. And yeah, we we played it a little bit. What were your impressions of it? Well, the game is pretty silly. There's a lot of sumo going on. (laughs) I don't know. One thing that really stood out to me is how clear the vocal samples were when when we're playing. There's um, the the this is made by Tecmo, and the Tecmo bunny, like their unofficial mascot, kind of is the referee, I guess you could say. And he shows up while these sumos are getting ready and the sumos kind of come together. And he says what sounds like what Ihanda says in Street Fighter. He sounds like he's saying Ufgoi, which I'm not- Duskoi, yeah. Duskoi, okay. Maybe that's like begin or whatever, fight or something like that. It's traditional, yeah, sumo sumo shout. Yeah, so, but yeah, it looks really silly. Like all the character animations are really goofy and over the top, but it's a sumo game. And uh, when you first were explaining this to me, I, I, I. I initially was like, oh boy, this is going to be one of those like weird Japanese simulators where like, you know, it's like baseball stars where you have to like build your team and, Mm. and, you know, like there was a lot of background work that you would have to do, but it looked actually a lot more fun than that when we were playing. Like it looked like it was just a straight up like sumo game. Yeah. I think you you gain skills as you go through it. Like I was trying to figure out what the controls were. I was winning a few matches, Mm -hmm. you know, here and there. Yeah, you did. Um, But even if you lose a match, like it doesn't necessarily mean that your game is over. Mm -hmm. It's just, it counts against you in your, in your win loss ratio. Right. But again, it's all, all in Japanese. So it was kind of hard to understand what was going on, but it was, it was playable and it was fun and it was very well produced. I felt like, you know, if there were an English translation for this game, I would definitely have some fun playing through it. The crowd was pretty animated too in the background. It reminded me like of a much more more like a Japanese sumo take on Punch-Out in a way. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And the, the, the Tecmo Bunny is the referee for the yes. sumo matches, which is cool. Right, right. Because you don't really see him appear in games very no. much. Usually, like, just in the introduction for, like, Tecmo Super Bowl or whatever, he'll come mm-hmm. out with the Tecmo logo. Right, right. But, uh, or the Tecmo logo. But in, uh, in the game, it was cool to see him as, like, an actual character judging your matches. If the Tecmo Bunny and the Quick Rabbit got in a fight, who would win? Well, the... The Quick Rabbit never wins. No? 
Doesn't he always get his yeah. quick taken or whatever? That's or true. I, you know, it's just one of those kind of like mm. Cocoa Puffs kind of characters He'd where they're too always... too busy chasing chocolate drinks. Yeah. 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 Whereas the Tecmo Bunny would come in and be like, oof, goy. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, the the track itself is, it's, it's well composed, I think, and it, it definitely takes advantage of the MIDI samples for the saxophone, which that I really like. saxophone solo at the end is really I cool. I really dug that. That was neat. It so. uh, Kind of going back to the, the pixel track questions at the beginning of the show, this really reminded me of the Runaway 5 tracks from mm-hmm. Earthbound. Yeah. Because it's all just that kind of like Blues Brothers style right. rock track with saxophone solos, etc. So I kind of got that feel from this. No secret that, you know, the, the music is great because it's composed by Keiji Yamagishi and Kaori Nakabai. Both were big techno composers. Um, Keiji Yamagishi, obviously very popular for doing the uh, the Ninja Gaiden game, Tecmo Baseball, Tecmo Bowl, Tecmo Super Bowl. And to clarify, Ninja Gaiden won on the NES, not Ninja Gaiden, the arcade game. Correct. Yes, because those are different. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he worked on quite a lot, even Guitaru Man, Winback Cover Operations, Distregon, the PS1, he was sound director, Castlevania, the Dracula X Chronicles on the PSP. He did. He must have done like arrangement or maybe composed like some alternate track. Yeah, it's very possible. Like yeah, but he he was working on an NES album. Yes, it was like music that was like chip tune inspired or something. Basically, like that. Yeah, yeah, he was going to do original original compositions right. using the NES sound drivers. And then Kaori Nakabai, she worked with Yamagishi on a lot of stuff like Radia Senki. Mm-hmm. She took over and worked on um, Ninja, Ninja Gaiden, Gaiden 3, Three when Yamagishi was not available for that. Mm-hmm. She also worked on. The Captain Tsubasa 3 soundtrack, which is considered a really good one as well. Dynasty Warriors, too. Yeah, she went on to do some Dynasty Warriors. She kind of created that that heavy rock, heavy metal sound that the first Dynasty Warriors games used, and then they basically built upon that for the rest of the Dynasty Warriors series. So hmm. She was kind of responsible for that stuff. So, She's yeah, like... two, two really great composers. And this is a really good soundtrack, too. I haven't found the place in the game where this particular Big Sumo Blues track plays yet, but I want to I wanna try to get there just to see. Because the song being so long and having a, a, an ending and being three minutes long, I can feel like it's this big, long cinematic story scene or something mm. like that. So I'm really curious to see where it comes from. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, our next game is from Jimmy White's Cue Ball for the Game Boy Color. Gross. <laughs> it's uh, BGM1, and it's by Mr. Manfred Linsner. So this so. is gonna rock your socks off definitely definitely love this check it out
Welcome back. That was Jimmy White's Cue Ball for Gross. Game Boy Color. <laughs> you said that last time. <laughs> BGM1 was the name of the track, and that was by Manfred Linsner. I love this song. It's so thick oh, and meaty. I love it. It's got Linsner's kind of trademark, dancey style. Uh, it's Game got Boy his stuff. arpeggios that yeah. he's really well known for. But then also those kind of jazzy, bluesy leads that kind of would m remind you of a pool hall. And then it does get really kind of slow towards the yeah. end there, um, which gets even more kind of bluesy and jazzy. So it kind of puts you in that that pool table kind of frame of mind. But yeah, it's good good, good stuff. Good stuff. This is very acid jazz. Reminds me of... Okay. Yeah, it sounds a lot like acid jazzed evening, uh, which you guys played on Impulse Project. It's a really phenomenal song. Yeah, definitely hear that. And, you know, Lindsner had a lot of experience in the demo scene as well, so mm -hmm. that's that's why you get that kind of feeling. And I think Acid Jazz Evening was probably a Sid track, if I remember correctly. I think so, so. yeah. Yeah, that would also make sense, too, yeah. because it's all very arpeggio and wavetable heavy. Yeah, So, and the rest of the music in this game is good. There's not a lot here as far as, like, quantity-wise, but it's, it's all really phenomenal stuff. Yeah, and uh, it's a very simple game, so the, the yeah. soundtrack needs to be good to kind of keep you hooked on it. Perhaps too simple. Yeah. Uh, we were trying to play through this one, and uh, you know, we played a couple rounds of pool. <laughs> Some of the characters that you could play as, they had like ridiculous names like Susie Q. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you got to face off against Jimmy White, which, I don't know, I guess he's a big name in pool. Or used to be anyway. Or used to be. When this game came out. Right, right. Who knows? I have no idea, but yeah, no, it's it, it's frustrating because the balls aren't ball shaped; they're like diamond. Yeah, I just went there. Yeah, the, the they're balls below are, resolution. Right, they're diamond shaped almost. So like you're trying to move the cursor. It works kind of like Mario Golf or most other pool games where you move where you need where you want the shot to go, and then after you trigger it, then you can move the cursor on the cue ball for where you want the shot Your to English. kind of bend, right, yeah. the English. And then once you do that, then you can... It's a golf-style power meter. It's a golf-style power meter, exactly. So once you launch it, if if you launch it too hard, the ball just goes everywhere. Like right. it's, 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 it's it was really hard to aim the shot because, right. because of the squared edges of the ball just didn't, didn't give you that kind of uh, mm -hmm. finesse or precision that right. you needed to really get, get I, it working. I mean, I was tapping it in, and it's still was not going in. Yeah. So it was really hard to angle the shots, but... Um, what do you expect from a Game Boy pool game? Pool game, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I mean, I would say that if I was to pick an old-school pool game to play, it'd probably be either Lunar Pool or um, Side Pocket on the Genesis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Back Backroom Billiards on the PlayStation was really good. Too. I really liked uh, Virtual Virtual Pool 64. That I sounds think. familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That had some really good graphics, too. Yeah, its, yeah. Oh, it was really impressive yeah. visually, yeah. So cool. Didn't have any N64 fog. <laughs> no, because you're only looking at a pool table. A pool table, table right. So. A foggy pool table. <laughs> so, smoke, man, you know, yeah. smoky jazz. Yeah, there you go. Manfred Linsner, you know, no stranger to the podcast. We love his work on the Tomb Raider Game Boy Color games, Tomb Raider and Tomb Raider Curse of the Sword. He did Iridian 3D and Iridian 2 which I believe we played Iridian 2 on the Shoot'em Ups 2 episode. Yeah. Burnout Legends. He also did the Nanostray games. So he's he's done some phenomenal work. Yeah, a lot of work with Shinen. Yes. Cool. Not too much to talk about with that game. Yeah, no. Yeah. Let's right. move on to our next one. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't want to do a full-on retrospective on Suzy Q? Uh, <laughs> no. No? Although the vocal samples were really kind of interesting. Yeah. They were always met with this kind of like buzzing that went on in the background. It was like... Mrr! 
nice yeah. shot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on. What do you All got right. for me? Next up is Doki Doki Yuenshi. This is a Famicom game that came out in 1991. This is Amusement Park Stages 1 and 3 by composer Nobuyuki Shioda. was a straight-up jam from Doki Doki Yuenji. That was on the Famicom in 1991. Song was from the Amusement Park, stages one and three, by Nobuyuki Shioda. I love this track. That is such a great song. <laughs> it just, uh, it was another one that I just kind of came across randomly and, you know, had to do some more research on. It comes with a pretty good game alongside it, too, as well. But I just love it. It just, it's a head bobber. Very, very high energy. It's got those, uh, like, little bass synth samples that Shioda also bah. used in the, the Rekka, Summer Carnival bah. 92 Rekka game. Yeah. So it sounds very similar to that. It just, uh, I don't know, I love that kind of call and response that goes on halfway through the song. Good stuff. It's really good. Uh, you said it all. I mean, I, I can't really emphasize enough how much I love. I those, really... Those Mega Man 2 toms, too. Yeah. Yes. I really like that that sample. That... It's just so harsh sounding and rough. And it's a shame because the Europe version, the Trolls in Crazy Land, which was basically a, a visual hack, graphical hack for the game, doesn't have that sample. Yeah, it's I don't weird. know why. I, I'm, I mean, we were talking about this when we played through the game. It's probably because they, when they were reworking the game to be like a Trolls game, basically, all, all they did was just change the title and there was a lot of uh, like licensing text at the beginning of the game yeah. too so i don't know maybe that licensing text took up too much memory and they couldn't fit that sample in anymore which is a shame to, yeah i'd gladly take the sample yeah because it's not like it used a different like sound chip that the european and american nintendo systems couldn't support mm -hmm. so i don't know anyways the japanese version of the soundtrack is way better than yeah. Trolls in crazy land it just sounds empty when we were listening to it to for a comparison it just didn't have that 
that crunch sound to it. Yeah, yeah. And the game is kind of interesting. You play as a character named Pon Pon. <laughs> it's a very weird game. It's yeah. like a baseball fantasy circus land. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a side scroller. You kick soccer balls. So like, what was that? Well, initially you throw game? baseballs. You, you're no, you kick them. You always kick balls. <laughs> Okay. You do. You're just a ball kicker. You're a ball kicker. And and, and they start off. The balls are very small. I thought they. I always thought they were baseballs. They look that, like baseballs, but yeah. I think there's also. I think they're just supposed to be projectiles mm-hmm. of some sort. It might be baseballs. The balls knows. get bigger as you get hit. As you get hit, which is really cool because you change colors each time that you get attacked, and your attacks get bigger and more powerful, which is a really kind of unique take on an action platform. Yeah, it kind of gives you more of an advantage as you get closer to death, which is very interesting. Jumping-wise, though, was awful. I mean, The jumps were were slow and had a very high arch to them, which I always hate. That was my big complaint Mm -hmm. about the Mad Max game as well. So it made kind of placing your landing very difficult. Hitboxes were rough, too. I mean, you were trying to avoid getting hit, and it's just, there was no way. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it it was fun in that, you know, there was some side-scrolling stuff, and then you would, like, get on a roller coaster, and it would be almost like... um, like the minecart levels from Donkey Kong Country mm-hmm. felt very similar to that, where you're or jumping like, over pits and going on different tracks and stuff. Kid Dracula. Yeah. Very similar. To yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. So it had some it had some good variety to it. It had a nice little cinematic at the beginning where, uh, I guess your girlfriend is going into the amusement park or Sister whatever. Sister slash love interest. Yeah, <laughs> just like in Donkey Kong Country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a giant hand comes out and grabs her, and so Pon Pon jumps out of the theater oh, oh, it kind of works like he's watching a movie with a bunch yeah. of people at the beginning and then she, and she disappears gets taken. and then he goes and he jumps onto the stage he jumps into the screen and into the screen right it was very weird so yeah. you know not a lot of text no text at all that accompanies the the cinematic so it's kind of hard to figure out what exactly Ooh, is going on right evidently a u.s release was supposed to come out for this game and it was going to be called crazy land the ride of your life <laughs> so we almost saw it in the u.s but uh, never came out. And it wouldn't probably have had that better soundtrack anyway because they took it out for the European version. Which so. is weird. I don't know. I'm almost kind of glad it didn't come out here because then it kind of made us focus on the Japanese version. So right. we got the better, the better versions. So. Yeah. Cool game. Definitely check it out. There's a, a English translation for it, but there's hardly any text there in the game. There was barely any text. It yeah. changed the title screen from what I can tell and then mm-hmm. maybe the ending, but I, I didn't ever played it through to the end. It might so. be worth just cheaper just getting and getting the Famicom game, probably. Well, yeah, if you're not going to do the ROM, then, you know, getting the Famicom game would probably be cheaper, and otherwise Mm -hmm. you probably couldn't play the uh, PAL version anyway, but who wants trolls and bad music? Right, right. (laughs) Naked. And that that was even the weirder thing, because... Uh, at the beginning of the Trolls game, it's the same style thing where they're in the theater, mm-hmm. but then this naked, naked dude just jumps out of the crowd and into the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, you only see it from the back, so right. it looks just like this naked boy with <laughs> crazy hair. Yeah, yeah. And then finally he turns around and you see that it's a troll, but yeah. even still, like, who would even buy that game based on that license? It was something, man. I don't know. You pick weird games. But they have good music. Speaking of weird games, our next <laughs> game is Worm, Journey to the Center of the Earth for the NES. I can't believe this actually came out in the U.S. You're a worm. I am a worm. All right, then. So uh, this is Act 3, also known as Magma Falls, and it's by Dota Ando. Let's take a listen. Thank you. 
back, that was Worm, Journey to the Center of the Earth for the NES. Came out in 1991, and that track was called Act 3, also known as Magma Falls, and it was by Dota Ando. This is a weird, weird game. I like it though, it's really cool. So, musically, let's talk about that, I suppose, mm -hmm. first. This has, it's, it's got like a, a much more subdued action, Japanese action music sound to it. Like it reminds it, me a lot those... of um, like the Deja Vu soundtrack. Yeah. It's got that very high range that uh, Masuno usually uses. Mm -hmm. So I felt like they kind of fit in with that kind of a game more than like a side-scrolling action game like like this. Well, it's not only side-scrolling right. action, but yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, it, it's it's very like very Mega Man acid. And so that's kind of what attracted me initially. But as I started listening to it more and more, I started picking apart the different moments of the song that I really liked. Uh, I like the dun 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 Yeah, that was cool. It, it's cool. And how it just kind of like stagnates like afterwards is dun 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 and then it just kicks into the loop. Yeah. So it's 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 very it's heroic good. sounding yeah, stuff. Like action. lots of little fanfares thrown in here and right, there. Right, right. It, it's good. I mean there's no real specific instrumentational like arrangement that I can like picture in my head for it. So it all just kind of sounds like Japanese action, Japanese music. action music or chip tunes. So yeah, but it's good. This game is weird though. It's it's kind of like Metroid meets Star Trek, in a way. Okay, yeah, I can see right? That. Yeah, definitely. Well, initially you're playing as this tank, and the tank is uh, this thing called like a VZR, and the whole point of the game, uh, the game takes place in 1999, and uh, you are initially controlling this tank that can drill, you can change it so it can fly, kind of, which was kind of weird, because I, I was thinking, no, you just have to drive it. Um, but hover tank. Yeah, it's like a hover tank, it's weird. But yeah, you could like drill through these areas or whatever, and uh, it's kind of initially a shoot 'em up and then it turns into this like first-person like RPG mode that uh, you have like four different characters and you have to ask each character, you have to figure out which character to ask things so that way, uh, you know, you see an enemy on the screen and you've got to ask these four different characters like, oh, you know, what do you think I should do or whatever. And they give you more information. The more information they give you, the higher the percentages uh, increase that you'll be able to take down this enemy. If none of this makes any sense to you, we recommend you go see <laughs> Matt Ezero's video. Yeah. Uh, Cygnus Destroyer did a great video Excellent on video, this game yeah. on, on YouTube. Definitely check it out. It'll it'll kind of help you understand it a little bit more. Cause it is kind of hard to explain without actually playing the game. Uh, the, the biggest complaint that I had is that mode in particular we could not get past. Yeah. Like, well, we... Were, we and then the video explained how to do it. We watched the video after right. we played the game. And we were like, oh, that's So the video how kind of explained it. how to do it. Right. But yeah, different. You have like four different crew members in your, your drill tank VZR thing. Mm -hmm. And different. Talking to different members will increase the probability of your ability uh, to, to attack, destroy the enemy. That it'll be successful. So right. each time you talk to the right person, you'll get an increase in percentage. And once that percentage re reaches 100, mm -hmm. then you'll be able to destroy the boss of the level. So, so we just didn't get to the point where we got to 100 yeah. and lost our health. Right, right, right. But then there's other parts that when you're going through, the reason I bring up uh, Metroid is it's just characters pretty much like looks exactly like Samus did or Justin Bailey or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Uh, green hair, you know, or, red, uh, what's her face? leotard. Um, what was that full motion video game on the Sega CD? Time Gal? Time Gal, yeah. Very, much like very similar to Time Gal, yeah. So you're going through later on in the game and you play as this girl Moby 
and you're going through kicking, shooting, you know, that sort of thing. So it's more like an action side-scroller game kind of style, which is pretty cool. And then there's one other mode, if I recall, that you can get through. It's a vertical shooter style. Yeah, oh, the vertical. Yeah, and then you go back and you do the vertical shooter style. So, yeah, it's 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 very similar to Vice Project Doom, if you've ever played that, where you've got these multiple different type of modes, or like uh, Bayou Billy, where you have these different modes that you can go through. So it's it's really cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't know if now I'd have the patience to go through and play this game till the end. Hmm. But as a kid, I would have loved this game. Me too. I think if I had rented this or whatever, I would have gotten to that that end boss and been like, "Whoa, this is really cool," mm-hmm. you know. And and that would have probably motivated me to to go through it more. I, I think I remember seeing this game back in the day, as far as the cover goes, and the cover art is so horrendous. Yeah, you've got these like really eighties out characters that just look really goofy and big hair and you know over the top looking. And I think the combination of that and the title of the game right, just like kind of drew me away. Like I didn't me too. probably never rented it because of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they called it something different, I, I probably would have been more intrigued. But super um, drill tank deluxe VZR Alpha, VZR Moby's Helix big, big Day Out. I don't know Helion Helion Destruction <laughs> Mega Moby's Big Day Out. Moby's Big Day Out. Yeah, there yeah. we go. <laughs> so, but musically, it's it's really cool. Uh, the tracks were all composed by Dota Ando, who uh, worked mostly as a sound staff for ICOM. And right, but he was employed with Asmic when he wrote this one. Right, Asmic only made like four NES games or something like that. Something and, like and he that. Composed two of them, I think. Yeah, he worked on Hoops. That was his first game in the in 1988. Uh, worked on Amagon for the NES. All Pro Basketball, Silkworm, Aerostar on the Game Boy, uh, Asmic Kun World 2 on the Game Boy, Ring Rage on the Game Boy, uh, did some Super Famicom stuff, uh, did the port of Samurai Shodown on the Game Boy, Ball Bullet Gun Survival Game Simulation on the Super Famicom, the Game Boy version of Battle Arena Toshinden, which is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's a pretty good port of that. Just went on to do a bunch of uh, Game Boy games and later on worked on sound effects for Guilty Gear X, Guilty Gear X2, Guilty Gear X Plus on the PS2, Spy Fiction on the PS2, which is a very strange game, Death Smiles on the Xbox 360, did sound effects on, and then Ace Attorney Investigations, Miles Edgeworth on the DS, did sound effects, and uh, last game was Undead Nights on the PSP, which I believe he may have just done certain compositions because most of the song this this was another game that i covered on the playstation portable video mm. that i talked about earlier in the podcast and undead knights takes a bunch of black metal tracks from actual black metal underground bands and okay. puts it in the soundtrack so i think he just did like maybe some initial composition for like trailer like the trailer or like the intro cutscene, like that type of stuff yeah or he did you know gathered up the music or whatever Who yeah, knows? something like that yeah. i don't know but yeah that was his last game so, Very weird cool. game, definitely cool soundtrack, definitely recommend checking out the game and the soundtrack. Sweet. Cool. What do you got next? Next up, saving my weirdest for last, <laughs> this is Battle Block Theater. I love this song. Yeah, it came out for the PC and Xbox 360 in 2014. The name of the song is Emphasis on Scat. It's the secret level theme. Gross. And it's, com- yeah, exactly, <laughs> composed by Will Stamper featuring Dan Paladin. Let's cluck it up. Skip it a do. <laughs> Girl, baby, 
Emphasis on Scat by Will Stamper featuring Dan Paladin. So, uh... <laughs> oh, God, such a good song. It feels like a, like a, like just Jonathan Davis just being ridiculous in front of him. You know, the lead singer of Corn. Right, right. Just, yeah, just... Or the Scat Man. Or the Scat Man. I love Scat. Combination. Not, like, gross. But, mm. uh, dude, Scat... Like, anytime you throw Scat into a song, like, it's, it's always awesome. Mambo number five or whatever that's called. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's so good. That's, I love it. It's good stuff. The story behind this track is that Will Stamper is the uh, the narrator behind the whole game um, and created some, not all, of the music for the game. Um, but he was tasked with creating a secret room song. <laughs> so uh, he and Dan Paladin, who was the head of Behemoth Studios and, you know, created all the games like, was it Battle Block Theater? Castle Crashers and uh, Alien, Alien Hominid. Hominid, which there is a track from Alien Hominid in this. Right. I think it was like when you were paused. Yeah. Or something like that. And I was like, oh my God. Like I jumped up and I was like, wait a minute, I know this song. Just a little throwback. Yeah, so, Yeah, cool. when, when Dan Paladin was working at Newgrounds, Will Stamper happened to be his roommate. They mm-hmm. moved in together and then ended up becoming very good friends, and so they started working on all this stuff together. Mm. So when they did this track, 
Will said, damn, let's come in, let's do some like scat style stuff. <laughs> they like worked worked a little bit of it out, and then he just started playing the background music and they did this whole track in one take. That's so this awesome. is like the first time they did it. Oh, that's they great. were like, This is perfect. Yeah, We're just gonna, yeah. you know. And a lot of it was improvised. They would just start like oh, you could back tell. and forth. I love the chicken when they come in. Now buck, you're talking. Now you're talking. Uh, so good that and I, I really like the uh, the doobie 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 yes. breakdown. Yes, uh, so great. I found out about this because I, I wasn't necessarily playing the game myself. Eddie had it on Steam and he was playing on the computer, and uh, the computer was in the living room. So I just happened to walk by mm-hmm. or walk into the living room to like say dinner's ready or whatever. And, and he was in the secret room, and I heard this in the background. I was like, "What are you listening to? This is <laughs> amazing." I ended up, you know, finding it on YouTube, finding out some of the some mm. of the story behind it. So you were gonna Will's, originally pick this for the um, for the vocal, vocal tracks, episode, right, yeah. Right. And I was like, no, I'm gonna save this for oh, a yeah. free pick. Mm-hmm. Taken from uh, a blog that Will wrote about the game, as far as a secret stage goes, he goes, the game required a secret song. I alternated those fresh lyrics with Dan in one clean run, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> I tend to joke that only the Behemoth would accept a song like this. You turn this in at any other company, and you'd more than likely be fired. Right? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, so good. Battle Block Theater is just as ridiculous. It's very um, goofy. Side-scrolling game where you have the ability to create your own levels and, and, and upload them as part of the community. Kind of like if um, Castle Crashers was a platformer. Yeah, it's kind of like it's got some Kaizo-style stuff, so there's a lot of, like, traps that are set mm-hmm. throughout the, the game, and a lot of it requires some um, cooperation with a second player or a third player or a fourth player, depending on how many people you have. To help each other get through these levels, um, it's a lot of fun. I haven't played too much of it yet. I've watched Eddie play a bunch of it, and it starts off pretty easy. But then, like the end levels are like just ridiculously Ridiculous. absurd. You know, that's you have cool. to go through it perfectly. It's like Meat Boy style. Okay, stuff. that's awesome. Yeah, I gotta so, check out this game. Definitely worth it. it it's, the cutscenes are absolutely hilarious. Yeah, they are. Will Stamper wrote all of the humor and the dialogue. The intro for is it. great. The intro is yeah. I'm not gonna spoil it. Maybe we should put it in the Facebook group. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just a, a video for the intro, but the intro will hook you. You're absolutely. Like, okay, after hearing and watching that, you'll you'll definitely want to check out the rest of the game. So, uh, yeah, that was my that was my ridiculous track for the that episode. Was very ridiculous. <laughs> I loved it. So I don't know how to top that. I guess we'll go. With this, uh, Knights of the Round for the Super NES. 1994 was the year of release. This is the Super Nintendo port of the arcade game. Uh, track is Expedition and it's by Isayo Abe. Let's hit it. That was Knights of the Round for the Super NES. Knights of the Round what? Just Knights of the Round. Oh. Yeah. No table. 
No table? No table. Just, just swords knights. and bad guys. Just swords and knights hanging out in a circle. That's it. Hacky <laughs> second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> track came out in 1994 for the Super NES. That was by Isayo Abe, and the track was called Expedition. This whole soundtrack is really great. It's It's like standard Japanese action music, whatever you want to call it, but it's got these very like haunting organs and haunting melodies. It's, mm. it's like if you slowed down Mega Man X and like threw it, replaced the guitars with organs. Yeah, That's what I it kind of felt like. To kind me. of agree with that. And yeah. it makes it makes me enjoy it a little bit more because I'm not a fan of that Capcom right. guitar sound. I know, guitar. We talk about that almost every episode. Right, right. <laughs> Isayo Abe also was responsible for writing the uh, Sagat theme from Street Fighter 2. That one that's right. like that crazy time this signature. This sounds a lot like that. I was just going to say that. Mm-hmm. Those, especially that background arpeggio. It's very Street Fighter. Definitely. He also, I think, wrote the introductory title music for Street Fighter 2 and I was commenting while we were playing the game that mm. the, the player select music for this sounds just like the theme to Street Fighter. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, they were both written the same year so I can imagine that maybe he tossed a couple songs back and forth between each game to see which would fit better. So that makes like, sense. So kind of hear some of those similar themes between the two. I mean, he he's done tons of beat-em-ups. Some of my favorites. The Punisher... Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. and Dinosaurs yeah. is one of my all-time favorites. Great, great CPS arcade games. But he also did a bunch of Street Fighter stuff. Uh, Street Fighter Alpha Warriors Dreams in 95. Street Fighter Collection in 97. Street Fighter Alpha 3 in 98. Uh, Pocket Fighter, which has a really fun soundtrack. Yep, uh, the remixes of the Street Fighter 2 stuff. Yep, yep. Spawn in the Demon's Hand in 2000. Gross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful Joe 2, he was a guitarist on the compositions. Did the music for Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix, just basically like, you know, arrangements. Followed up with I Wanna Be the Boshi in 2010, which is just, he was credited for Street Fighter 2 music in that. So, yeah, good stuff. I, he's He does really phenomenal work. I, I think he is definitely underappreciated. So, Knights of the Round is what the King Arthur and the Knights of Justice cartoon should have been if it was a game. That cartoon did yeah. have a game that came out for it, and it was terrible. Yeah. This is a great beat-em-up. It's one of the all-time like classic Super Nintendo beat-em-ups. This port came out pretty late, though. The game came out originally in arcades in 1991. This got ported in 94. Okay. I don't know if they just needed more time to port it over, but, like, uh, I don't know. It's it's a pretty accurate version of the game. I mean, I, I'm thinking back, comparing it with the arcade version that I've played on the Capcom Classics collection, and I really can't tell, maybe aside from some musical changes in terms of like the arrangement, I don't think there's really that much of a difference. The arcade version might feel a little tighter in terms of gameplay. Yeah. This game always felt a little slow to me, like slower paced. Yeah, I think and that's because a lot of the detail in the graphics. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of enemies on screen at once, plus you could get those like Horses. You can, and you can hit the treasures and split them up into bigger treasures. Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of that sprite work probably slowed the game down maybe a little bit. That's but, true. But all in all, I mean, as a Super Nintendo game goes, it, it was a great port of the yes. arcade. Probably one of the best out there. Definitely. Uh, later, this game went on to inspire the Dungeons and Dragons, like the Shadow of Mistara, right. Tower of Juraga, or Tower yeah. of Doom games. Yeah, because you could um, level up. And they're very, yeah, they and, used like an RPG style yep. thing. And they brought that into the Dungeons and Dragons games, and those are some of the greatest beat 'em ups mm-hmm. ever made. Definitely. So uh, yeah, I think a lot of that same team probably worked on this one as well. Makes sense. Uh, Sayurabe also ended up working on the soundtrack for Dungeons and Dragons Tower of Doom. Yeah, the the relationship between this game and those games are, are very close. 
Yeah, you can play as King Arthur, Lancelot, or Percival. Percival, I don't know, he looks really weird in this game. Like, in... He's just this big dude with a shoulder uh, armor piece on, but, <laughs> but he's shirtless. If you look at the arcade flyer for it, the game, he looks completely different than he looks in the game. Interesting. He's, like, got a super tiny head, and he's bald, and he looks, like, really old. <laughs> Whereas in the game itself, he's got, like... Kind of shaggy blonde hair. Kind of looks like an ogre a little bit. Like he's yeah, got yeah, this a little bit. weird misshapen body. I don't know. It's the the whole game is weird, uh, <laughs> but it's a great great beat 'em up hack and slash style game. One of those underrated gems. Yeah, it's like the Super NES. If it's comparable to Golden Axe in that sense, where it's like yeah. the Golden Axe. It's like the Super NES version of Golden Axe. It's good stuff. I'll agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to do it for episode 81. Our free picks has come to an end. We would love to hear what you guys thought of it. Please feel free to head over to the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Radio. Look for the post where this show is located and comment what were your favorite tracks what were your favorite songs tell us what you think that's right you can also email us at pixeltunesradio at gmail.com or send us a tweet at pixeltunesradio exactly and you can get in touch with us also on Instagram at pixeltunesradio that's right where I post a picture maybe once every year check out my youtube.com forward slash dongled page for every current and past episode for Pixel Tunes Radio, as well as and future, future episodes. Played this game. Yeah, and future episodes. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously. And you can check out Ed's podcast, uh, Impulse Project. Yep, impulseproject.info. If you guys did enjoy that Manfred Linsner track that Mike picked, uh, and you like that sound, you'll definitely hear more of that over on Impulse Project. Agreed. Check it out on iTunes or on the website. Mm-hmm. So, next episode, we have a huge, big thing coming up. Gross! <laughs> and it doesn't involve scat. Oh, I hope not. Or we... Jimmy White's cue ball. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> or worm. Or worm, yes. So, we are actually... For episode 82, we are having our very first composer on. This, I mean, we did an interview back with uh, for the Ikamizutani episode, but this is actually going to be a composer that's going to be on our show, uh, and it's none other than Matt Furness. So excited. Yes. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. He's picked out a bunch of his favorite uh, compositions that he wants to share with us, and right. we're going to share some of our own favorites of his. It's going to be fantastic. Do a little chat. And uh, which, speaking of which, so we would like to field some questions from you guys yes. that we can ask Matt on the show. We're going to call it Matt Chat. Matt Chat instead of Pixel Chat. Right. Which will be really cool. So uh, We're only taking a in. very limited amount of questions because, you know, if we get flooded, we're not going to be able to do that. So right. get your questions in. We'll sift through them. The best questions that we, you know, didn't ask him, we will... You know, take your guys' yeah. questions. Send, send those questions to pixeltunesradio at gmail.com with the subject Matt Chat so right. that we can kind of weed those out and, uh, you know, make sure that we we consider them for the show. Yep. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Matt's really looking forward to it. We've been chatting with him on and off, so going to hear some great FM stuff that he's composed yes. as well as maybe some other stuff. Gonna be a maybe very... a couple surprises here. Yeah, and there. yeah. I've, you know, started picking tracks for it, so Ed will pick three, I'll pick three three and uh you know we're giving matt six to pick so definitely it's gonna be an awesome show cool all right well that's it we'll see you in two weeks boys and girls in the meantime we will catch you on the facebook group that's right all right peace out peace